0: Hey there, and welcome to the podcast for this Wednesday. Coming up, we'll talk about the ongoing impact of the pandemic on the music industry. Plus, the latest COVID headlines, everything from vaccines to variants with Dr. Iris Gorfinkel. And in some business news, we'll talk about the explosion the last day or two over Bitcoin. That's all ahead next here on the podcast some breaking news from the city. They are calling for a delay when it comes to the reopening of Toronto. Health officials and the mayor are saying they don't want to see us reopen here in Toronto until at least March the 9th. March the 9th. We've got plenty more on this with a Danny and 3 p.m. news coming up at the top of the hour. But in the meantime, some businesses are planning on reopening. And that, of course, includes gyms, gyms, And from Sweat & Tonic, here's General Manager Morgan Thomas, who joins us now on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Morgan, good afternoon.
1: Good afternoon.
0: Appreciate you uh, joining us. Uh, Can you tell us uh, where things are at when it comes to uh, not only your gym in particular, but uh, just gyms overall uh, here in the uh, province? Uh, A lot of them, uh, have they uh, reopened, gearing up to reopen?
1: Absolutely, yes. We're um, raring and ready to go and uh, excited about uh, finally getting people back into the space.
0: All right. And when we talk about people back in the space, is it reduced capacity? Just exactly how many people uh, are allowed? Is it like 50% capacity?
1: Yeah, so it depends on what zone we're allowed to open back up in. But typically, it would be 10 people per class. So at Sweat & Tonic, we offer group fitness classes. Um, So it's, it's 10 people per class.
0: Okay, so it's uh, reduced class sizes, reduced capacity, at least uh, for now, in the gyms. What other sort of changes are people going to see as they venture back into the gyms, particularly if they haven't maybe been to a gym in a while and pre-pandemic?
1: Absolutely. So there's been a lot of changes since last March when we first had to shut our doors. Things like touchless entry, sanitation stations, temperature checks, Uh, plexiglass dividers between every single station, hospital grade air filters, a shower booking system, um, and just overall reduced capacity mask requirements uh, when not working out and social distancing in place.
0: All right. So this is something that sounds pretty involved that uh, you know, you at Sweat & Tonic and others in the industry, in the gym industry, you've obviously been at work at this uh, for many months now.
1: Absolutely. So we actually started back in April when everything first shut down. Um, you know, to, to make sure that everybody was staying busy and that we were also preparing to be able to reopen and welcome back our community safely. We started researching best practices and benchmarks from across the globe, as as all countries have been affected by the pandemic, um, and uh, and preparing to reopen, which we were able to do initially at the end of July. So through all of the um, the phases where we've been able to have guests inside. We've had about uh, over 15,000 in-studio guests to date um, since COVID initially hit, and we've been really fortunate to have zero positive cases.
0: And is that uh, something you would cite to those that are maybe a little apprehensive, a little nervous about coming back to the gym? Because uh, obviously there's a concern when it comes to uh, heavy breathing, sweating, and moisture droplets in the air, which we know is the major way that uh, COVID is uh, transmitted.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, I would I would say that, you know, our goal at Sweat and Tonic and for most fitness facilities, obviously, is to improve the health and wellness of our communities and keeping our team and our guests safe is our absolute top priority. So we're taking these things really seriously. Um, we do know that COVID can't be transmitted through sweat. Uh, so we're you know following all of the, the medical studies and facts and have even partnered with medical professionals and some local doctors in developing our COVID protected plan to ensure that we're really following the science in our space and in our protocols.
0: When it comes to face masks in the gym, are they required? Are they uh, encouraged? Uh, should you be working out? To, can you be working out with a face mask on?
1: So we do require face masks to be worn in all common areas. And uh, and even in the studios, when you first walk in, until you get to your assigned spot, everyone pre-books their spot, whether it's a, a bike in the spin studio, a treadmill in a hit studio, or a yoga mat in the yoga studio ahead of time before they come. So that's helpful for them. They know exactly where they're going, and we know exactly where they'll be. Um, so they are required to have a mask when they first walk into class, but then when everybody's settled at their spot, the instructor will, uh, will cue everyone that they, they can now remove their masks if they'd like. You can work out with your mask on, and some people choose to do that, but uh, in some more intense uh, class settings, we do find that a lot of people prefer to take theirs off. So that's also why there's the overall reduced class capacity. You know, we originally had about 50 people per class, and now we're down to about 10. And then we also have all the spots socially distanced at least six feet apart and with plexiglass dividers in between. So you've got your own sort of sort of personal VIP workout space.
0: All right. And what are you hearing from uh, clients, uh, Morgan, as you begin uh, reopening your facilities? I mean, how excited are people to finally get back inside a gym?
1: You know we've been really fortunate to um, to act really quickly and find some great ways to keep our community moving and engaged. And you know especially during this pandemic, it's it's important to keep physical fitness, but also mental fitness and wellness uh, top of mind. So we have some virtual platforms where we do live stream and on demand classes. So we've kept everybody moving and engaged that way, but they are really excited to be able to get back into the physical space, have access to equipment that they might not have access to currently, and just have that, you know, um, in-person interaction and that um, energy that comes with a group fitness class.
0: Yeah. I don't know if I could uh, recall what a barbell looks like at this point. (laughs) (laughs) Good news is it's basic equipment, though. Uh, I think I can learn again pretty quickly.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think we're all going to have fun hitting the treadmill for the first time in in a couple of months. Um, But we're all in it together, and we've got expert instructors uh, waiting to help everybody kind of back into the rhythm of things.
0: All right. Morgan Thomas, General Manager of Sweat and Tonic Fitness. Morgan, appreciate you joining us here this afternoon. Best of luck with the reopening.
1: Thank you so much for having us. We appreciate it.
0: It's so- a- That is Waiting on a War from the Foo Fighters. And the Foo's have got the number one album on the Billboard chart in the U.S. It is also the number one album in the U.K. And joining us now is our music expert, Eric Helper. He joins us here on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Eric, good afternoon. Good afternoon. How are you? I'm Well, thanks. Uh, Medicine at Midnight is the Foo's third number one on Billboard. Tell us a little bit about the album and uh, why it's doing so well right out of the gate, do you think?
2: Yeah, you know, uh, the Foo Fighters brand-new album not only has gotten a lot of critical acclaim, in fact, it's well over 80% in terms of of critics around the board giving it four stars or more, Um, but mostly because it contains two... Two genres of music that really aren't seen at the top of the charts, which is rock and roll. Sometimes you can rock, sometimes you can roll. But to put those two together, though, that's where you start to get the rare stuff. In fact, it's extremely rare when, when rock albums are, are hitting the top of the chart across North America. Um, and it seems like, you know, obviously the Foo Fighters definitely have their fans, and rightfully so. When it sold 23,000 vinyl copies in America last week, which is tied for second place all time for most vinyl sales sold since 1991 uh, Pearl Jam Vitology sold about 35,000 Queens greatest hits last year. sold 23,000 around Christmas time. So the food fighters are right up there when it comes to a you like rock and roll chances are you probably like the food fighters and there certainly are a lot of them.
0: Absolutely. And it has been a while since a rock album or a rock and roll album has been at number one. So the big question everybody is asking with this tremendous success of Medicine of Midnight is rock, is it back, do you think, Eric? I,
2: I really, you know, I really don't think it goes away. I think that there are plenty of rock stations that play new rock, especially here, right here in Canada, where you've got the Blue Stones and Kings of Leon and the Beaches and J.J. Wild and even ACDC are, are really all climbing up the rock radio chart. So it's there. It might not be the first choice of musical styles that teenagers are listening to. That would be pop and rap music and has been for the last two years when you're talking about music consumption, but certainly when it comes to some of the biggest artists that are out there the touring world, normally it would definitely be rock with, you know, the Eagles and Fleetwood Mac and Foo Fighters and ACDC and Greta Van Fleet and Kings of the and Smash and Pumpkins. Even Kansas and Sticks and Journey, I mean, they can sell more tickets than any other style of music that's out there. Unfortunately, though, and you and I have talked about it in the past, it's tougher for them. Because they kind of rely on the touring aspect more than ever before in order to, you know, build their money and build their bank account and get, and get money into their pocket. Um, and with COVID, you know, we may not see these artists until maybe, maybe summer 22. And for a lot of them, because of their ages, we may never see them again.
0: Yeah, and I want to talk a bit about that because uh, The Who is also uh, making news since we're talking about uh, rock music uh, here this afternoon because uh, they're one of the few bands, maybe the only band, uh, Eric, that we have seen that uh, they have outright uh, canceled their tour. They just announced they're canceling their UK and Ireland tours, and this is noteworthy because... This is not a postponement, and if you've had uh, tickets uh, for a show you're probably still holding on to, it just keeps getting postponed or rescheduled. But uh, The Who has outright canceled uh, their tour again in Ireland, in the U.K., and we've not seen many of those outright cancellations.
2: Yeah, this is a really bad... First step, Um, and and I kind of fear that this is going to be one of the first that starts to tumble. Um, You know, whether it's testing people, including the band and their and the roadies and and the audience, or it's the local government, it's going to be really really tough to actually see touring in the way that we have because you know you might be four months down the road looking at a city that is pretty good in terms of, of cases but then the next city on your bill is in a red zone all of a sudden and how can you even predict that the actual biggest problem that these artists are going to have is just simply the high cost of insurance forget about the covid stuff just getting health insurance for some of these artists is going to be astronomical Robert Plant is 72. Mick Jagger is 77. Roger Daltrey is 76. So when you're Roger Daltrey and Pete Townsend and you're both over 75 years old, you may start to take a look at these things and say, do I really want to be doing this at age 78? That's even if Roger and Pete can get in the same room together.
0: Yeah. Well, do you think that that is the question that, you know, Roger and Pete, uh, the Who and the Stones and uh, I mean, we go down the list of these uh, heritage uh, acts. There are certain bands uh, Fleetwood Mac comes to mind. That, uh, listen, they have been on the road since uh, the 70s or the 60s, in the case of the Who in the Stones, and they're looking at this uh, right now, what's gone on with the pandemic and saying to themselves, with everything that they've accomplished, with all of the money they've amassed and the riches they now have, that they're just finally done with it, done, and maybe we've seen uh, the last of the Who on the road and some of these other heritage acts.
2: I hope I'm wrong, but I kind of think that that's exactly the case. I think that's one of the big reasons why a lot of these artists are now selling their song publishing catalogs like Neil Young or The Who or Fleetwood Mac or, or some of these classic rock artists and the hundreds of millions of dollars. is Because they're looking at this, they're, they're looking not only at their age, but their health, their personal lives, their marriages, their kids. And if they're off the road for two years, it's a grind, you know. It takes a long time to get back into rehearsals and getting their fingers and their toes and standing for three hours. Like, the travel certainly takes a toll on you. So a lot of artists might be looking at this saying, I can get $100 million if I sell my catalog. I may never want to tour again. This actually might be the reason. And, and kind of bypass those farewell tours that we kept seeing for, for a decade Um, I don't think that there's going to be very many farewell tours. I think that quietly artists are going to be announcing their retirement, which is so sad, but I think they really don't have a choice if they can't tour for another two or three years at the most.
0: And it's really interesting when it comes to a band and band dynamics because I saw an interview last week with Christine McVee from Fleawood Mac, and she was saying that she's not certain if she wants to go on the road. If they do, it's probably without Stevie. And she said it's uh, for certain without John McVee, one of the founding members of the band, because he right now is, uh, she said, uh, on his uh, boat and uh, having a great time and uh, loving life. And uh, really, uh, I mean, you can't blame him in a way. I mean, does he really want to leave, uh, you know, all of that to go? play go your own way for the zillionth time
2: how oh, you know in speaking uh being on his yacht right now um it's it's really nice um it, you know it, it it really comes down to that's the toughest thing about being in a band where if you've got a four-piece band and three members want to go out and one person doesn't like that person actually has the biggest sway out of all of them you know growing up i saw groups like the four tops and the temptations and all of these motown 60s bands with zero original members in them they were like the cousins of the drummer of somebody and people kind of accepted that i wonder how much rock fans are willing to take a band with no original members left. Um, And that's going to be interesting. If you're, you know, if you're Fleetwood Mac, are you... You know, is it so fit with Mac if if Mick Cleveland, the drummer, is the only person left in there? Um, You know, is Pearl Jam, is it only Eddie Vedder that is the most important cog of the wheel? So that's going to be really interesting to see over the next decade or so.
0: Yeah, and just to be clear, this is really those really established heritage acts we're talking about. Uh, I think uh, younger bands, bands that are, maybe they were just... You know, breaking onto the scene when COVID uh, hit—I mean, they're really chomping at the bit. You would think to get back out on the road. Yeah,
2: you know, I think I've seen far more real estate signs of people that are just getting into the business than ever before, because I think people are looking for for another way to to get a job and and keep the music going, and 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 even if it's going live at night, you know. Uh, it might be at least another another half year. I just don't see any shows opening up for more than 20 or 25 people until at least 2022 at their earliest, but we'll see.
0: Okay, listen, we're going to open up the phones here in just a second on this, but uh, before I let you go, let me get your take, Eric. Is there a band? I mean, is it The Who? Is it Fleetwood Mac? Is there a band that you're kind of worried that you may never see again?
2: Oh, Genesis. I've got tickets for their shows over in the UK, and it's the first time I'm going. It's the longest flight I've ever gone to. If anybody has ever sat beside me on a plane, they know that this is a very big deal for me. So, yeah, I, I'm I'm afraid that this is it, and, and a big deal. Big part of my musical life and my musical love will be gone forever if I never get to see them again. That's just how much I love them.
0: Yeah, and remind me, because I'm trying to remember now, they announced that they're going to reunite, right? It was Phil, Tony, yeah. uh, Mike, and, and, and was Gabriel part of that? No. It, no. Uh,
2: playing drums is Nick Collins, Phil's son, and uh, Daryl Sturmer on guitar. And although Phil doesn't move around a lot, he actually sits on a chair while he's singing and no drum playing um it will still be i think the last time but yeah they announced about 20 shows in the uk they moved all of them to 2022 and so you know people's health isn't all that amazing when you get to that age you know as as i don't know you know (laughs) you're not there yet either but you know couple of that we're seeing in, you know, a lot in ancient hotels and eating pretty bad food. It's, uh, it takes a tour for sure.
0: Yeah, I'm just wondering, though, if this could work in the opposite direction or the opposite way. Maybe a guy like Peter Gabriel, after everything we've been through, says, you know what, I really should be part of that uh, tour because it's uh, something I, I want to do one last time with everybody from Genesis that I went through the wars with uh, back in the day. Uh, maybe it's given him a new perspective and some other artists.
2: I've got to be honest. All of the older artists that I work with have less. Um, they have a less burning desire to go out on the road if they haven't. I think that they've seen their royalty checks drop because of music streaming services, or or album sales, or with record stores closing down. Not one of them has been chomping at the bit to go on the road. I think that they're kind of set. Where you're 70 years old or 65 to be like, well, this is what it is. I'm not going to risk, you know, my teacher over playing a couple of shows. There's a lot of thinking that goes on in between this. I would love if Peter Gabriel um, reformed. I would love it if he only did one show, as long as it's the show that I have tickets for. I'd be really happy. <laughs> <out of it. laughs>
0: I hear you, Eric. Great chat as always. Thanks so much for joining us this afternoon.
2: Great. Thanks,
0: Jeff. We'll talk soon. Here's music expert Eric Alper. And time now to run down COVID headlines. Here's vaccine researcher Dr. Iris Gorfinkel, who joins us once again here on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Doctor, good afternoon.
3: Good afternoon, Jeff. Thanks for having me back.
0: All right. Uh, Just when we were on track for uh, the Pfizer vaccine, we're expecting 400,000 doses. You and I were talking about this uh, yesterday to come our way. There's now been another delay. This is because of the snowstorm uh, in the U.S. How much of a setback do you think that this is going to be, or is this just maybe just a temporary disruption?
3: It's a temporary disruption. I think we can maintain that positive attitude. It does seem that we will be getting way more vaccines and that it will be a reliable supply by all measures. What can you do? We're used to snow and you know the nice thing about snow is that it forces us to quarantine a lot of us don't have a choice
0: yeah that's true i was just uh, kind of shocked because obviously the pfizer uh plant we know is in belgium why does it have to do you know why it's got to go through the states to come here couldn't they just ship it directly to us
3: you know these shipping things are beyond the space of the small cranium of a gp (laughs) i really don't understand these things you would think that they could heavens no heaven only knows i can order something on i don't want to say it, Amazon.ca, and have it at my doorstep tomorrow. Why these things have to be so complicated, I suspect, holds hands with the fact that it has to be kept at minus 70 degrees. It's not exactly your typical Amazon purchase.
0: That is uh, very true. But I think you are onto something because we've all noticed this during the pandemic as we've been doing more and more online shopping, Dr. Gorfinkel, and you're right, uh, because you can track your package sometimes. And I have no idea if I order something from uh, Mississauga. Sometimes you look at it and it goes all the way, I don't know, out to Saskatoon and then finally back to us here in Toronto. Just doesn't seem that efficient sometimes. <laughs> All it's right, me- true, you nailed it. <laughs> Meantime, uh, Providence yep. Therapeutics. We want to talk about them. They're based in Calgary, of course. And uh, when we talk about uh, you know vaccines and producing vaccines, uh, they are looking at producing a COVID vaccine right here in Canada domestically. And they now say that they're on track. Is this right to produce fifty million doses by the end of the year?
3: I find that to be a little bit. I don't know, optimistic, shall we say. They promised to produce 500,000 doses a day. Understand that for province, this is the very first vaccine they will have made. And we have seen other pharmaceutical companies, including Pfizer, including Moderna, uh, who've, who've said we're going to produce huge numbers and then fail to do so. There's a lot of glitches that can get in the way. And the other small print is this, is that right now, in the here and now, this is all they've done is test 60 volunteers for this messenger RNA vaccine. 60. That's it. They're hoping to start testing in phase two, not even phase three, which is the final phase, phase two, only in May. They hope to get started with manufacturing in July. So this isn't exactly today's news. Well, kind of. It, it, we have to look forward to it in the late summer if we're lucky.
0: Okay, they might be over-enthusiastic with their projections, but at least they've got a projection. And is this uh, good news that we're talking about, once again, uh, domestically uh, producing a uh, vaccine? And what does this mean for the pharmaceutical industry uh, in this country? Because I think over yeah, the last few news. months, sorry, one of the things, uh, part of the discussion has been you know, that uh, we really uh, need to uh, ramp up a production uh, in this country so we don't find ourselves with uh, another vaccine delay and reliant uh, on Pfizer uh, abroad.
3: And you know something, it is, I'm proud to be Canadian because this will be the first fully made vaccination in Canada. You know, but we've lost our, most of our, not all of it, but most of the vaccine producing capabilities some 50 years ago. And now we're trying desperately to make up for it. So the federal government has poured in a tremendous amount of funding to produce vaccines, but it's going to take a long time to get these up and running. These are not this month or next month. As we mentioned, even for Providence, they hope to begin manufacturing in July. And the reason for this is because historically, vaccine manufacturing has not made a lot of profit for those companies who have invested into it. So let's just hope we keep our eye on the ball so that it's not just a matter of servicing this pandemic, but the next inevitable pandemic. And that could be many years from now. So that's not easy to do for countries.
0: All right, let's go from uh, vaccines to variants. And an outbreak involving a COVID variant at an apartment building in North Bay has now grown to over 30 cases. Public health authorities announcing that late yesterday. This, of course, Dr. Gorfinkel on top of the uh, 30 or so cases in Mississauga that was reported over the uh, long weekend. When it comes to variants, just how concerned should we be uh, about those that are living in apartments or, or condos?
3: Well, the big issue is, is that we're not testing nearly enough. Understand that across Canada, we're only testing about 10%, if that. Many regions aren't even testing that many, of the, of the number of samples that come in. So that makes it very difficult to know just how common these variants actually are and how rapidly spreading they are. And why it's relevant is because not only do they spread way faster, so the original variant would have infected 100 people, this new, these new variants can infect as many as 170 people. So that's a big deal. But we believe they spread in the same way. But now we're, we're asking ourselves, when we see outbreaks in the apartment building that took place in North Bay, in the condo building in Peel region, how are these spreading? Is it in the elevator, the hallways, the stairwell? Is it the ventilation systems? It's actually very complicated. We know that COVID-19 transmits through droplets. So as I speak, I'm spewing out big droplets that that carry a lot of virus and drop within six feet. But I'm also spewing out tiny little droplets, kind of like the thing you would see in cigarette smoke hanging out in in an enclosed space. So that's the question. How is this spreading? To be fair, the apartment building in North Bay, so we know that there's 31 cases, 20 of which tested positive for the new variants, but we don't know just yet which variants they are. One was the South African variant, which is very concerning. In Peel region, there was also a cluster, and five of those cases were confirmed to be the South African variant, and that is very concerning course challenges with testing for variants the equipment is very expensive it requires training and of course it, it requires a lot of time to get those results as well so testing for the variants isn't such an easy proposition but we do need to ramp it up we need to better understand how effective are each is each vaccine going to be against each variant because it's getting complicated and it's getting complicated very quickly. We mentioned, oh, there's this new vaccine, you know, Providence. Well, maybe that'll come out in July. We hope so. That's an mRNA vaccine. We already have two vaccines now approved. But you can see how complicated this is getting when you overlay that with a number of new variants coming up. Sure. So we and- need to keep track to understand what is doing to what.
0: Okay, and speaking of complicating, I think a lot of people are finding it rather complicated, the reopening of uh, the province. And Peel's top doc is out today, Dr. Lawrence Lowe. He is recommending extending the stay-at-home order for at least two more weeks. He says that's to monitor schools, uh, in-class learning is back, of course, and these variants that we've been uh, talking about. So are we rushing, do you think, uh, Dr. Gorfinkel, into this uh, reopening?
3: It's, it's very difficult. I try not to get involved in political matters, but I'll share with you. The, con- the countries that have had the most success did really hard, tight shutdowns. Think about Australia. The way they got their numbers down is they basically shut down everything for 30 days. Everything, just you gotta stop the spread. And that is and remains our best medicine. Considering that only 2% of Canadians have now been infected and only 2.5% of us have been vaccinated. I shouldn't say us because I'm not included in that list. I'm a a community family doctor. We're talking about the very few healthcare workers who are front facing healthcare workers. So that leaves 95% of us still susceptible to the disease. And I ask, what is our medicine? Our medicine is actually quarantining, socially distancing, wearing the best masks we can get our hands on, minimizing gatherings. Because we know that gatherings remain one of the top ways in which this is spread. It, it's hard. I wish we had a better way to, to do it. I recognize the benefits that schools give. But personally, I think the only way we're going to get on top of it in a big way, especially the new variants, is to do a hard and fast lockdown, a real the real deal. I mean, that's what's worked for other countries. So I don't see an easy way around that.
0: All right. Got to leave it there for now. Dr. Gorfinkel, appreciate the time as always. Thanks for joining us.
3: Many thanks, Jeff. It's always a pleasure.
0: Likewise. There's vaccine researcher Dr. Iris Gorfinkel with us. There's been a lot of news recently in the last day or so about Bitcoin. And here's our personal finance expert, Rabina Ahmed-Hawk, who joins us now on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. (laughs) Rabina, good afternoon.
4: Good afternoon.
0: All right, let's talk a little bit about uh, Bitcoin, because uh, they had a pretty big day. Uh, was it yesterday?
4: Yeah, I mean, Bitcoin continues to get to record highs. Yesterday at $50,000 U.S., so, you know, more than $60,000 Canadian. Um, and the really, you know, this rally started when Tesla bought one and a half billion dollars of Bitcoins about 10 days ago, and really now saying that this is now a currency that mainstream companies are now getting more and more interested in, that they're seeing a future for cryptocurrency. And that's what's really fueling this rally. Um, More people wanting to invest in it, thinking that they're going to make a lot of money, especially make a lot of money quickly. Um, And that, you know, this really gives more evidence that we need to take a better look at cryptocurrency because there definitely is a future for it. Um, okay,
0: so can I buy? Now, but can, in a few years, can I buy my next Tesla with Bitcoin? Is Elon Musk well, going to uh, accept that?
4: Yes, that is one of the big announcements that they made: is that you can use Bitcoin to purchase a Tesla. You'll need probably two because uh, they're because they're about a hundred thousand dollars each. Those cars, but you can do that. And so that has been the big criticism from me and from other people who who are following this: is that. You know, Bitcoin is just an idea right now. Uh, You can't actually go out and use it to buy everyday things. You can't go to the grocery store and buy groceries. I can't book a holiday with Bitcoin. Yeah, there have been some examples. A guy bought a pizza a few years ago in New York with a Bitcoin. But now the question is, that pizza probably cost him $60,000 because if he had just held on to that Bitcoin, not (laughs) bought the pizza with it, it would have been worth... And that is the other problem, is that the, the currency is so volatile. So which merchant is going to want to take any currency in that, you know, the next day is going to be worth X amount less or X amount more. I mean, that's not really a stable way to do business.
0: No, but when you get a company like Tesla and somebody like Elon Musk basically giving it a thumbs up, I mean, are we well on the way, well down the road towards Bitcoin becoming kind of quote unquote a legitimate currency?
4: So I don't know whether well on the way would be the right way to describe it, but we are on the way. And the last 10 months or 11 months now of the pandemic has accelerated people's understanding of technology and how we can use technology in our lives to make them easier. And cryptocurrency is the ultimate uh, technical uh, currency. I mean, it's all digital. It's mined on computers. It has instant transactions across the world. You can make an instant, you know, you can make an instant deposit into someone's account. And so, you know for those people that have been learning about other things in tech whether it be you know uh, virtual meetings and learning how to use zoom and learning how to use other things that you know that maybe we weren't as comfortable with it just brings them closer to understanding cryptocurrency as well I know it may be a stretch to make those two connections but as we get more wise about technology around us then we start to think okay this cryptocurrency may, might make more sense to us now the problem is is that we haven't figured out a way that we would tax it which is the most important important thing when it comes to currency. You've right. got to be able to, to tax the money. Um, and we don't have a way, you know, it's still being used for dark and nefarious purposes, which I would argue that's what cash was used for. I mean, Pablo Escobar had, you know, mounds and mounds of cash. And so now those same people who are in those markets are now have mounds and mounds of cryptocurrency. Uh, so that doesn't mean it's not a legitimate currency to use. Uh, but we have to figure out a way that if I'm paying for a service in India, how am I paying tax on that? Who's paying tax and which government is collecting it?
0: Well, this is what I was thinking is the big question moving forward when it comes to cryptocurrency and Bitcoin and whether or not it's going to become kind of a mainstream uh, currency. I mean, what does this mean for the Canadian dollar? What does this mean for the U.S. dollar? And what does this mean to governments, the U.S. government, the Canadian government? I mean, they're going to want their piece of the pie here, right? Right
4: yeah so cryptocurrency is the idea that we don't need a central central bank that we don't need a central bank controlling um our flow of currency and that we should be able to in some sense i guess it would be like a worldwide currency where you you know we can i can trade for whatever i need in another country without having to go through the central bank without having it to be cleared that way but the problem is is that um you know we are still very much reliant on the central bank system. We're very much reliant on uh, the way that they set interest rates, the way you know, the way that uh, we, we follow the value of our currency. Um, it would be very difficult for us to relearn how to now work in a cryptocurrency environment. Who would control that? Who would monitor that? Who would regulate that? You can't just have a free-for-all when you're talking about people's livelihoods, talking about people's values of their homes, the values of their assets. And so there has to be a way to control it. The idea of cryptocurrency is excellent. I like the idea that, you know, through through no cost, I can send Um, a currency to somebody around the world and they can say immediately that they received it. You know, you try to cash a check, it takes like 10 days for it to clear. I sometimes send an e-transfer. It takes hours for it to get to the other person's bank account. So that would eliminate that. But it does still, you know, we still need regulation and no one has figured out how to regulate this thing.
0: Yeah. Could you see just a world currency one day? I know there's been a lot of talk about this as well as with the rise of uh, Bitcoin. But, uh, you know, one day where we're not dealing with uh, U.S. dollars, British pounds, Canadian dollars, you know, as we become more and more of a global marketplace and a global uh, economy. Does that make sense?
4: I mean, some would argue that the US dollar is kind of like a world currency because you can use it anywhere in the world. You could probably go anywhere and use US dollars to buy something. Um, I don't see I don't see why that couldn't be true for cryptocurrency. Um, It would be interesting that, you know, in Canada, a cup of coffee would be X amount of bitcoins. And then in a country like China, it might be X amount of bitcoins. And so that would be the way that we would be comparing, you know, where we get best value for things, how much we pay people for their labor costs, you know, where things are made and um, how much those materials cost in that country compared to other countries. It would just be a way of rethinking all the whole entire economic system. Um, And um, how would interest rates work? Because interest rates are set by, you know, uh, set by governments, set by a a central body of each country. How would that work if we had one cryptocurrency that served the entire world?
0: Alright, meantime, I also wanted to ask you uh, here this afternoon, Rabina, about Shopify, which of course we know is Canada's now most valuable company and the meteoric rise that they saw in the past year in uh, 2020 uh, continues here in 2021.
4: Yeah, so Shopify is the one of the most valuable countries a uh, country's uh, companies on the TSX. Um, it has risen in value uh 178 percent since last year. So basically doubled in value almost. The reason really is, is that the pandemic has forced many businesses because Shopify, um, their main uh, business is offering uh, e-commerce services. So smaller businesses who may never have thought about having to be online, all of a sudden had to find a way that they could get online and sell their goods and services. And Shopify fulfills that need. Now, they also have bigger clients, not just small businesses, but they also have bigger clients. But as we move past the pandemic, will those companies continue to use Shopify? Will they go back to their old model of just having, you know, customers come in store, or maybe at most having them call ahead and putting something on hold with a credit card? We don't know, but definitely, you know, Shopify, it has accelerated growth because of the pandemic, because people have needed that service in order to survive um, the last 11 months of the pandemic when they've been shut down.
0: Yeah, and this Ottawa-based company is, uh, as they say, the little Canadian company that could, but they've been really uh, bold. I mean, it was a couple of years ago they announced that they were going after Amazon, that Amazon was in their crosshairs, was in their sights, and, you know, this rise that we've seen in the last year and a half when it comes to Shopify and it's a share price. I mean, it is just incredible, but I don't know. Uh, is it too much too soon, do you think?
4: No, I don't know if it's too much too soon. And I think that um, one of the things that Shopify has going for them is that they really do serve small businesses. So you are buying uh, you're not necessarily shopping through Shopify like you through through Amazon, but Shopify will serve those mom and pop shops and big corporations and you know allow them to sell their goods online. Whereas Amazon, you know, the biggest criticism has been is that they've just become this monopoly that there's, you know, they're they're eating up all the profits of all the little guys. So as you know, Canadians especially are very big on shop local. They're very much, you know, Uh, conscious of the fact that they want their dollars to go to help their community. Um, So as we move through this pandemic, as we move beyond it, uh, more and more people may be shopping at those local stores and those local stores may be using the infrastructure that Shopify provides in order to make their transactions happen. They also do have point of sale. Um, So you go in and you can you can uh, buy something through their point of sale technology. It's not just online. Um, and all of that, you know, they're, they're a very forward thinking company. I mean, at the beginning of the pandemic, they announced that their entire workforce is going to be work from home forever. Right. They're going to have a very small um, contingent of people that are going to come into the office. Otherwise, everyone's going to work from home so they they already have this kind of forward thinking um, uh, personality uh, that I think people are just attracted to. And, um, you know, not necessarily individuals, but companies are more and more going to be using them uh, because they provide that service for small businesses.
0: Well, listen, it's great to see Shopify. Great Canadian success story, to be sure. Rabina, thanks as always. Really appreciate the time with us this afternoon. Thank you. There is our personal finance expert, Rabina Ahmed-Hawk.